But you've invited me to come and preach to you, so I'm going to ask you to find your place in Isaiah chapter 26. That'll be where I'll take my thought from, uh, just a few verses starting in verse 12. But as often is the case, when you, especially when I'm preaching just one or two times at a place, uh, I'm dropping in the middle of a book. You don't have any context. We're just preaching out of Isaiah chapter 26. So let me try to give you a little bit of where we're coming from so you can understand what's about to be, about to be read to you. This passage is coming at the end of a prophetic section of Isaiah. So Isaiah, starting about chapter 13, he's prophesying or he's telling what's going to happen, what God's going to be doing to judge all these nations that have been against God's people. So he talks about Babylon and Philistia and Moab and Syria and Egypt. He just he goes on talking about how he's going to make things right, that these things have been, been against God's people. And at this point, chapter 26, so again, remember starting in verse thir or chapter 13, going all the way up to this, it's been promised judgment, things that are about to happen. At chapter 26, Isaiah breaks out into a song. This is actually a psalm, essentially. He breaks out into a song, and he is praising God for what will be the final and the complete victory that God will have for God's people. And he starts in verses 1 through 11. I won't read them, but he basically recounts the sort of God that we have. I wish I could preach a sermon on that. There's a lot there to talk about. I'm going to talk about the next little section, which is verses 12 to 15, where he notes what God does for his people. So he says, what kind of God we have? What does God do for his people? And then the last part of that, verses 16 through 21, he details how God's people are saved and those who are not God's people are judged. That's what he's, he's, he's sorting out there. So hope you get the picture here that this chapter, it's kind of forward-looking. It's not happened yet. It's going to happen even as Isaiah is writing this. And I think even as we're talking now, it's not fully been fulfilled. But he's writing this as something that's going to happen. But he also, as you listen to the language he talks, he switches between what has happened What's going to happen and what happens now? Because I think this is God's view of the world, you understand? That nothing is all in the future. He's, he's seeing today as if it was happening yesterday, as it's happening tomorrow. He's in control. He's outside of all that. So he switches between that. But we're going to focus in verse 12, 13, 14, and 15. That's where our text will be today. And I want you to notice as we're reading this what it says that God will do and what he has done. That's what I want to get your attention on because that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I'm going to ask you if you're able to, to stand with me as we read the Lord's words just because I like to uh, honor God's word in this way. It's not required. Don't get me wrong. It's not required. It's just something I enjoy doing and I hope that you appreciate it as well. We're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 26 and begin in verse 12. It says, Lord, this is Isaiah talking in this song and in this prayer. He says, Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us. For thou also hast wrought all our works in us, our Lord, our God. Other lords beside thee have had dom dominion over us, but by thee only will we make mention of thy name. They are dead. They shall not live. They are deceased. They shall not rise. Therefore thou hast visited and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. Thou hast increased the nation, O Lord. Thou hast increased the nation. Thou art glorified. Thou hast removed it far unto all the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'll bless your word. 
I believe this is something you've been working in my mind and my heart for a while now, and I pray that it'll be for this purpose. I believe you've given it to us for a moment in time, and we're right here, God, and we're hearing what you've got to say. I pray that you will help me to be an appropriate mouthpiece of your word, but more than what I'm doing or any of that, Lord, I, I would I'd like you to just take what you're saying here and help these people the way you've helped me with it. Would you please do that? Encourage them, strengthen them. Some of them might need to just be uh, set straight. Whatever it is, God, you do what you need to do to use your word for your people. Encourage them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can be seated. We're here at homecoming today. That's what we're here to do. And as your pastor's already said, uh, uh, we're going to eat. That's part of the tradition. That's a good part of it. Uh, but, but as it's often been the case, and just about every church that I've been associated has had some recognition of homecoming. Um, it's kind of a traditional thing that people do, and uh, certainly it involves some special singing, some preaching, and some food. That's usually the way it works in most churches. But the, everybody does it a little bit different. The exact traditions are not exactly the same for every church, but the common theme, at least at least the intended common theme, we, you could argue whether they do it or not, but the intended common theme, the intended common theme is to, to, to praise God for his faithfulness through the years. You recognize the church has been established for so long, and we recognize that God was involved in the founding of the church. God has been involved in all the ups and the downs and the good times and the bad times over the last several years. You recognize it. That's the intent of a homecoming service. And I hope that you here at this church can testify to that. I saw some heads nodding as I was saying God's faithfulness. So I'm going to assume that at least, at least two or three of you can attest to that here. And I hope the rest of you can as well. Seriously, I hope you can. But what I want to challenge you today with, and this is the thought I want to get out of this passage in, in Isaiah, is to consider that if God has been good and faithful, can I just ask you real quick, has God been good and faithful to you? Has he? Okay, I believe he has to me as well. But if that's true, that God has been good and faithful in the past, what does that mean for us as we look around at the chaos and the confusion and the pain, either in our own lives or in those around us? What does that mean as we look ahead to, I mean, we might think we've got the world by the tail, but let's be honest about it. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next week. We don't know what's going to happen years from now. And that, again, Matt, Matt, is applied both in our personal lives, what's going to happen to me, but also on the big global scale and in Washington. We have no idea what's going to happen. We don't know. So as we look around at the uncertainty, the unknown, and as we consider, as we consider what is it that I'm supposed to do, my calling, the legacy that I'm going to leave behind for my family and my community and those that love me. What is my responsibility? So if God has been faithful and he's been good in the past, and I just heard at least at least 90% of you, if not 100% of you, say, yes, he has. If that's true, then let's consider what does that mean right now? What does that mean as we go forward? What does that mean for the future? I want to just tell you that the same God who has been faithful, the only faithful one, by the way, I, 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 would, I would dare you to point to anybody that is as faithful as our God is, that is as trustworthy as our God is. I believe that he's the only one that has been. And I want to challenge you to seek him 
and is the only one who will be faithful in the future, both for the here and the now, as well as we go ahead. Look with me in verse 12. He starts out in this little section by saying, God, or rather Lord, excuse me, Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us. God is the author of peace. He says he ordains it. He's establishing peace. He's, he's the one that's creating it. He's actually defining the edges around what peace actually looks like. And he's defining it and ordaining it. He's establishing it for us. Now, again, the, the people in view are the children of Israel. I know that we are not Israel. I don't, want, I don't want to confuse that. But nonetheless, I think there's application for us. He is also doing this for us. He is establishing my peace, meaning that God puts in place He's got a plan for his people to have peace. It's not an accident. It's not a byproduct. It is actually the purpose of his plan. He is going to create peace for his people. In fact, in verses 1 through 3, I won't take you to read that, but he describes there that God's very presence is peace and safety. He talks about God as building this strong city, building it out of his salvation. He talks about how only the righteous can enter that city that God has, has for that. And he says that staying there, that being in the presence of God, verse 3, that is where perfect peace is found. That's where it's found. So if I'm going to have peace, <laughs> I don't know about y'all. I imagine you're just right, regular folk like the rest of us. I, but I don't know for sure. But if you're like most people, you just want people to leave you alone. Just quit bothering me. Quit causing problems for me. Just let me live my life. I, again, maybe I'm, just, maybe I'm just the cantankerous one that wants to live on top of a hill somewhere. But that's just how I am. And maybe that's how you are too. Just leave me alone. You just want some peace. Maybe you want people to give you peace. Maybe you want peace in your soul. But you want peace. You want peace. You want peace. And if we want peace, if we're to ever have peace, we have to seek the Lord for that peace. That's peace on the inside too, by the way. That's peace on our inner life. Because I can tell you, as much as I want peace, you know how I try to get peace? I worry myself sick. Thinking about all the things that could go wrong. And I want to promise you that worry will not happen, or worry will not help rather. Be careful for nothing, the scripture says. Don't worry about stuff. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, he says, let your requests be made known unto God. You want peace? Talk to God about it. Ask him about it. He says, and if you do that, he goes on, and this is in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. He goes on to say, if you'll ask him, give him your request, he says, and the peace of God which passeth, passeth understanding. It's more than you can even comprehend. He sh it, that shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. So if you want peace in the inner life, you're going to have to seek the Lord. He's the author of peace. He's the founder of it. And this world's promises won't help you. Your worry won't help you. You want peace in your community. Maybe you're worried about crime. Maybe you're worried about people who are drug addicted. Maybe you're worried about some of these politicians and the decisions they're making. You want peace in your community, in your neighborhood. The answer for unrest, the answer for conflict is not retribution. This is what we want to do. This is what I want to do. You hurt me, I hurt you back. That's what I want to do. That's my, that's my, that's my soul. That's my, my bent, my DNA. But those, those things, those violence, that show of power, that is not where peace comes from. 
He says there in 1 Peter, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, speaking of our, our Lord, that when he was reviled, reviled not again when he suffered, threatened not. But what does he do? What does Jesus do? When people came after him, what does he do? He says he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He put it in the Father's hands. That's what even Jesus did. He had the power, as the song says, to call 10,000 angels. But what does he do? He puts it in the Father's hand. So if there's to be peace, if we're to have peace at all, we are going to have to seek the Lord. We're going to have to seek him. If we're going to have peace in this world, politicians and policies and preachers won't even help. You know what's going to change that? Even so come Lord Jesus. We want peace in this world. Quit trying to elect the next best thing. I mean, again, vote, do all those good things. That's great. But you know where that peace is going to come from? Jesus, when he comes, he will institute peace. He will keep it in place by an iron rod, the revelation of Jesus Christ tells us. So the only hope we'll ever have is to seek the presence of the Lord. If you want peace this morning, seek the presence of the Lord. I want to keep reading there in verse 12. He says there that for thou also has wrought all our works in us. It's not just the peace that God, certainly God brings us peace, but it's not just peace. If we want something done, if you want anything done, you need God to do it. Look what he says there. I just, this is actually is striking if you think of what he says. He says, thou hast wrought all our works in us. If there's anything done, even if it's by our hands, who has accomplished it? It is God working through us. That's what he's saying there. Because as it says, if you go back to verse 4, I won't make you read that, but in verse 4 he talks about how God is the uncaused cause. He is the one who is before all things. He is referred to as Jehovah, the one who exists because he exists. He exists before anything ever was, or ever imagined, ever thought of. Everything that is only is because he made it be. That's because that's who God is. Nothing exists in this world apart from God. And Isaiah is making the point further that not only does nothing exist apart from God, nothing is accomplished apart from God. You take God out of the equation, we're just going to sit here and look at each other because we don't know what to do. We don't have the power to do it. We don't have the opportunity. We don't have the wisdom to do it. That means, think about this, that if, that reminds me, that was that verse, we always we quote it all the time, but we don't think we think about the implications of it. Over in Philippians, he says that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You know that verse? Yeah, this is a familiar verse. Well, what is he saying there? If God empowers it, there's no limit to what's possible. But further, don't, think about, don't miss the flip side of that. If God's not within a million miles of it, you might as well hang it up and go to the house. You're not going to accomplish anything. He says, if God is in it, there's anything is possible. And sometimes, occasionally, God chooses to work through you and through you and through you and through me. <laughs> but it's always him that does the work, not me. And that's a humbling thought, but an important one. Because if I want to get anything done, and by goodness, I, I like to get stuff done. I like to, at the end of the day, say, look at all that stuff I just did. I like to be able to feel that way, that I'm accomplishing something. I imagine you are the same way. But if you want things to be done, you're going to have to seek the Lord. 
You're going to have to seek the Lord to save your soul. You know that you cannot do one thing on your own, in your power, to get your, to, to make your way into the, as they say, the pearly gates. You can never, when you die from this earth, if you are going to make it to heaven, if the Lord is going to accept you and not judge you to eternal damnation, it will be not because of anything you've done, but because of everything that he has done. So if your soul is to be saved, you're going to have to seek the Lord to save your soul. You'll never be able to please the Lord on your own. I remember that story in the scripture, Mary and Martha. They're, they've got Jesus over at the house and Martha's doing all this work. She's working and working and working and getting everything just right. And there's Mary sitting there being lazy, sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha's like, Lord, don't you care? Look, talk to her. Tell her to straighten up. And Jesus says, hang on a minute. She's doing the more needful thing. What's the more needful thing? Actually learning from Jesus. Not, not doing anything. And you may say, well, is that talking about being lazy? No, no, don't get me wrong there. That's not what the Bible's even teaching. But I think we sometimes get ahead of ourselves. What do they say? The, the cart before the horse. We're sitting out there trying to do all this work, trying to do everything, get it all done. And we hadn't spent five minutes even saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Would you please empower me to do this? Because I can tell you, we will do stuff and we will be useless and it will be vain and it will be for our benefit. But if we want to please the Lord, without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. Hebrews tells us. Paul gets mad at the Galatian church. He says, listen, are you so foolish? This is in Galatians 3.3. 3. So are you so foolish? You started in the spirit. You got saved by the spirit's work in you. How are you going to continue on in the flesh? You can't do it. If you didn't get saved that way, you're not going to live for God that way. So if you want to please God, you're going to have to seek his face. I think that even applies to the, the, the physical labor that we do. Whether we're talking about taking care of our homes or working on a job site or working in our community, whatever those things are, those are all great things. They're wonderful things to do. But as a Christian, you do not serve your boss man. You do not serve your family. You do not serve even your church. Who do you serve? You serve the master. His name is Jesus. And you need to be empowered by him. So if you're going to do any work, anything, physical work, spiritual work of any sort, the work you need to do can only be done if you will seek him first and he empowers you so you have to believe him to do the work believe on him to do the work and get the work done go to verse 13 i'm going to continue on very quickly here to make sure i don't overstay my welcome verse 13 he says there lord our god speaking to jehovah yahweh he says the lord our god other lords besides thee beside thee have had dominion over us I want to at least acknowledge this, and I imagine it's probably been acknowledged from this pulpit uh, before, if not lately, but definitely before, that we, we follow after God. While that's the only way to get things done, it's never promised that everything would be easy, by no means. And if you've lived more than, I'd say more than 15, 20 years in this world, you've probably hit a hard time, a two, or three, or five. And I think that's just the natural human condition. I don't know that that's necessarily any more on Christians than it is on non-Christians. I think it's just living in this world. It's just difficult. There's sin. There's sickness. There's people do bad things. And we have to endure that. 
And here's Israel who have been, they've got these tyrants over them. And that, the previous chapters, as I tried to allude to, that's where God's saying, I'm going to tell, I'm going to set them boys right. They've messed with my people and I'm going to make sure I make it right. So he's, he's, he's got that under control. But these masters are ruling them, enslaving them and, hurt, and hurting them in the process. Yet he says there in verse 13, he says, they've had dominion over us, but by thee only will we make mention of thy name. They're saying essentially, we're continuing to be loyal to you, Lord. We're going to continue to serve you. Even though they're the ones that want to tell us that they're our masters, even though they're trying to dominate us, you're still our God. And the promise here, which again, if you wanted to go back to verses 5 and 6, you can see a little bit of this. But in verse 14, he says it as well. The promise here is of a better more victorious master than any master, anything that tries to have domination over us in this world. He says in verse 14 that they're dead. The enemies were dead and would never rise again. Now, that's what I was talking about before, too. There's this, this, this timeline. It's not always present. It's not always future. It's not always past. Because I imagine if I'm Israel reading this, they're like, my, my, my master's not dead right now. <laughs> he's, still, he's still hurting me. He's still dominating me. And the thought here is instead to say, listen, there's a day coming when your God, who is in control now, he will take care of them, and they're as good as dead. This is going to happen in the future. He's talking about how you, God, are alive. He's the one who is alive. He's alive, and he, as you know, you know now because you know even what Isaiah didn't fully have a picture of, that your God has died for you and has been buried and has risen again in victory for you, your God is alive and alive forevermore. But these, those that want to dominate us, they will have an end. It's only God and God alone who will outlive and outlast and overcome those who want to dominate us in this life, want to hurt us in this life. So if we're to have any victory at all, I like to win. Y'all like to win. I got to... I have nothing to do with it other than sitting on a couch and watching it on television, but I felt like I won two times yesterday because Wake Forest beat Vanderbilt, and then I got to see Appalachian State. They got to, they got to whoop up on Texas A&M, and I felt like a winner yesterday. I like to be victorious. I like to win, even if I'm not even doing anything about it. I'm just watching them do it. I like to win. Don't y'all like to win? Okay, maybe not, but I like to win. I sure do like to win. I hope you do too. I like to have victory. I like to win so much sometimes. I like to win so much that sometimes I can get myself in trouble trying to get a victory because I feel like there's something coming over me trying to win over on me. And the, what I have to do is I have to seek the Lord if I want any victory at all because that's the only victory that's going to happen. Because there are abusers and manipulators in this life who will try to work over you, work you over, will try to take from you, try to hurt you, that will try to damage you. They will, they will try to do that. There are liars and there are hateful people in this world. And they will, and you will cry, and you will have pain, and you will have loss, and you will say, God, why is this happening? And I want you to hear very plainly that if there's ever to be any victory over those people, it will only come when we seek God's face. And we might not even enjoy that victory right now. We may have to endure another season of that continued manipulation and lying and hurtfulness. We may. 
It's what Israel had to deal with, another season of it. But there will come a day when your God will outlast and he will outnumber and he will overcome those people who try to hurt you. You're going to have to seek him if you want victory over your own sickness and pain. There's going to come a time. It's not in this life, I understand, but the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 21 and verse 4, tells me that there's going to come a time that God's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. There's going to be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be there any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Some of you have dealt with, or if you don't deal with it yourself, you've seen others deal with chronic pain, chronic, chronic diseases. In this life, you could say that thing is just <coughs> dominating me. I can't get any victory over it. I just, every day I wake up and I can't, it's like one day, I just, I, I, one more day, of one more terrible day. And I want you to know that even though it may dominate you now, there will be a day when there will be victory that is coming. Your Lord will have victory. He's even going to to have victory over the devil himself. In Revelation, it says the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Devil's going to be defeated. He might might wreak havoc now, and he tries. He sure does. But his days are numbered. His days are numbered. We have to seek him and wait on him because he is the only one who will outlast. Last point I want to make to you is in verse 15, and I'll close up here. He says, thou hast increased the nation. O Lord, thou hast increased the nation. Thou art glorified. He's saying essentially that God's going to be providing success, increase, prosperous, prosperity. He's the one who has accomplished our peace. He's going to be doing all the necessary work. He subdues every enemy against us. And if there's any success at the end of all of that, if there's any to be had, it will only come through him. Now, to be fair, it does require a little bit of a different definition of success. Let's be honest about this. You know what success sounds like to me? My name up in lights, and everybody's saying how great of a person I am. My head, which is already pretty big to begin with, about three sizes larger than it already is. That's, that's success to me. Now, your success might be different, but I imagine it's something along those same lines, that everybody's about you, everybody's about me. That's our success. But we have to define it a little differently because it says there in verse 15 that thou art glorified. That this success is about the glory of God covering the earth. He talks about in that last phrase, thou hast removed it far unto all the ends of the earth. And that is the idea that it's not only God is glorified, but that the entire world is covered in the glory of God. This actually takes us all the way back to Genesis, and I I won't dare preach the rest of the Bible to you to try to take all that up, but I want you to know that all the way back in Genesis, God said he's going to create a man in his image, a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, in his image. He created them in his image, and he says, that image, that, that glory of me that is on you, I want you to go and I want you to fill the whole world with my glory. That's the mandate from the beginning. It's never been about me. It's never been about you. It's always been about him, but if we will seek him, We will have success by God's measures. We'll have his measure of success. We will get what he has given to us. In fact, go back to verse 9. It's not been part of my text, but I want you to look what he says there. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. This is the thought that I want you to hear. We need to seek the Lord. When we seek him, we will then have success, personal success. 
We will have spiritual growth. We'll actually grow and love the Lord more. We'll actually seek him more. We will be what God has put us on this world to be. He will have personal success in the work that we do, no matter what it is, no matter how big or how small it is. If it's done for the glory of God, it will matter in the long term in eternity. And I believe it also means we'll have corporate success. That means I believe that this church will grow and honor God. And if there's anywhere that a church or uh, corporately the church has not grown, whether we're talking about individuals spiritually growing or numerically growing, where that is happening, where it's not happening, rather, I should say, where it's not happening, it's because we're seeking success by the wrong definitions. We must seek God's face and ask for him to provide the success. And you know what that success is going to look like? It's going to look like a whole bunch of people that not everybody's going to, not everybody's going to look alike, not everybody's going to think alike, not everybody's going to same, sound the same way, but you know what we're all going to be focused on? The glory of God. That's what God's success looks like. We'll have corporate success in that way. We will have, if we will in all of our ways acknowledge him, he shall direct our paths. In closing, I just want to encourage you to determine, this is my, this is my, invitation if you will my invitation with you determine in your soul right now that you're going to depend on God and God alone over in Exodus chapter 33 verse 15 it's a thought and I'm going to give you the Matthew Tilly translation of it hope you'll forgive me brother for different translation in here but uh, I'm going to give you the Matthew Tilly translation of Exodus 33 15 Moses and God are talking. God tells him, I want you to do this thing. What he's doing is interesting, but not the point. I want you to go do something. And Moses' answer to God, he says, God, if you're not going, I don't want to go. If you're not going, I don't want to go. If you're going, I'm there. But God, if you're not going, I don't want to go. And my invitation to you right now is, if we could go ahead and see God as not the destination, God is not the end goal, but God's the whole point of the journey, every bit of it. That if he's not going with us, we don't want to go. That if we, he doesn't provide us the peace, it's not peace we're interested in. If he's not doing the work, it's not work we want to be part of. If he's not the one that is providing the success, we don't even want it. If he's not the one that overcomes our, vict our, 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 our uh, enemies and our, those things that dominate us, even the sin in our own lives, if he's not the one that's doing it, we don't want it. We don't want it. So I want to encourage you right now as we close this service, if you need peace, if you're frustrated by something, if you're dominated by anything, if you're failing to see success, would you seek the Lord this morning? Seek him early, seek him often, and seek him only. Would you seek him this morning? I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. I'm going to ask your pastor to come, and he's going to close this service as he sees fit. But my encouragement to you now, if you need to pray where you are, if you need to come forward, if you want to grab me and say, would you pray with me, any of those things are fine. Then I'll let him do it the way he wants to. But I want you to know the Lord is prepared to answer your prayer, but you need to seek him. Will you seek him? Lord, please help these people to hear your word. 
Lord, these people, Lord, these people need you, even if they don't know they need you. I think they do, but even if they don't, they know they, they need you more than anything in this world. I pray that you will draw them to you. Open their eyes. Help them to see that there's no hope. There's no help apart from you. Thank you for being the God that you are. Thank you for being so faithful. Give us the strength, the power, the wherewithal to rely on you for every aspect of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.